0: Thank you. Thank you so much. Wasn't that great? I told the first service, I do remember the day I was saved. I do remember the day that God called my name. And I haven't been the same. What a testimony to what God can do. I was just sitting there being... A hoodlum, God called, what a thing. Well, good morning. 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 There are some that might believe that I'm gonna cut my message 15 minutes short uh, because we went longer in our worship. You can dream, (laughs) but we'll see what we can do. (laughs) Well, as we continue our series on discipleship, um, I just wanted to cover this morning. I think last week a call was clear from Pastor Larry that Jesus gave the, to become disciples and not just to be saved, but to truly follow. And so I wanted to follow up with, well, what are some of the things Jesus said were the implications of being a disciple and uh, some, maybe some litmus tests we could use today as we go through them to say, am I really following him? Because some of you have even asked me the question, hey, I have these things going on, am I following? Well, I think what we wanna do is hear what Jesus said you're doing, and if you're doing those things, then yes, you are. Perfection is not a requirement of following. Did you know that? Did you know that perfection is not what gets you to heaven? Your perfection? Jesus' perfection gets you to heaven, not yours. Well, I'm wondering this morning, have you ever been involved where someone tried to persuade you to join something or purchase something big and they said a lot of wonderful things, persuaded you, you said yes, and then you got home and then you understood that the cost was much greater than you had imagined. I don't want to step on anybody's toes here, but... You know, some of us had bought a hot tub thinking that would be really cool, needful. Then you realize you only got in it two times a year and it probably wasn't such a good investment. Or maybe those dreaded timeshare presentations and you went in there with every intention of saying no. But somehow you ended up with a timeshare. Now, I have to tell you that Jesus was never one who let you feel duped. His invitations always came with a full disclosure. In fact, you would say that Jesus was not a very good salesperson because he let off with some of the painful things of being a disciple. He didn't just sell you on the wonderfulness of heaven. He let you know what's really involved. And Jesus wants us to know today that the costs of following him are real. But he also, anybody who has followed him also knows that the joys of following him and the blessings of following him are equally real and they last forever. Did you know that the costs of following him only last a lifetime? But the joys last forever. So what we're gonna do this morning is go through a couple verses here. And understand that what Jesus was calling us to do is not simply to be repent and saved, be saved, but to come and follow Him, be like Him, take on the task of being a disciple and being a person who makes disciples. Let's turn in our passage this morning, which is Luke chapter nine. And we're going to read verse 57 to 62. As they were going along the road someone said to him I will follow you wherever you go and Jesus said to him foxes have holes birds of the air have nests but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head to another he said follow me but he said Lord let me first go and bury my father and Jesus said to him leave the dead to bury their own dead But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those who are at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would use this passage in a powerful way, that you would speak through it that you would remove the speaker and his fumbling lips from the people's minds and hearts but they would hear the penetrating words of God right to their own hearts and you would change people not because of what is said by me but what you are telling them through your spirit Father do a mighty work this morning to change us and encourage us and make us more like our Savior Jesus In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I begin this morning, I want to first take a close look at what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ as found in our passage. And we're going to look at Jesus' interactions with three individuals on the road. And to get a bit of context of what road and what were they doing and what was happening, in verse 22 of this same chapter, a few verses earlier, Jesus has said this to his disciples. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Pretty serious words. And as Jesus was walking, he was saying, are you sure you want to follow me? Not long afterwards in verse 44, Jesus reiterated his same words to his disciple a little bit more passionately because he said this, Let these words sink into your ears. I hear a little frustration here. The son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Get it. Well, what does it say they got? Well, the next very verse is really intriguing to me of how these disciples responded to this passionate and heartfelt plea from their savior and their master that I'm gonna die real soon. And so they said, they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them, so they may not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this. Can you imagine it? They've been with him three years. He says something they don't understand, and what do they do? Are you going gonna to say something? I'm not going to say something. You going to say something? Nobody wants to bring it up. Like, I don't get it, but so what should we do? Verse 46 tells us that. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. Of course, that follows right? I mean, if you were talk, someone's talking to you about their death, the first thing you'd bring up is how great you were, right? No, these disciples are crazy, but I'm so glad that God includes it in scripture for us because the raw humanity and the dumbness of these disciples at times really makes me feel better, because if nothing it should give me a real hope this morning and you a real hope this morning that when we are just as clueless we are just as nuts if we just surrender our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit we like they can turn the world upside down weak men turn this world upside down nutty men flawed men just like you and me. We have the power when we have the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ to turn this world upside down. And I'm so glad he put this in here. Well, in verse 51, it says that Christ set his face to go to Jerusalem. He was determined. He was resolute. He knew that in Jerusalem, he would encounter all of this pain, all this rejection, all this suffering, and the death on a cross. But he said, I'm going anyway, because that's the mission God the Father sent me on. It's on this journey that we begin our passage and according to verse 57, he was with his disciples walking along the road. And this first guy comes up and we might even wonder what was he doing? I mean, I think what was happening is he was kind of worming his way into the crowd and pretty soon the disciples are looking around, they're saying, 12, 13. 13, who are you? And he says the words, hey, I'm gonna follow you too, Jesus. But remember, as Jesus responds to this man, he's responding as an individual, just like he deals with every one of us. Did you know that when we all have the same problem, we all get the same answer? Some might say, okay, I'll relieve that problem for you, but you, I'm gonna leave you in the problem. Why? Jesus deals with all of us as individuals. And he deals with these people as individuals. The rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18, when he told them, sell everything you have and give to the poor, was that a global command to the church and every Christian? No, it was to that man because Jesus knew, it's not recorded in scripture, but Jesus knew that that man had a problem. Money and possessions were his Lord. And he says to you, you need to understand, is it gonna be me who's Lord or your possessions that's Lord? because you gotta give one of them up. So Jesus is using these specific answers to these three men as a specific case. That's why when you read this passage, when he says, let the dead bury their dead, that sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? If someone told you your dad died, and you said, well, let the dead bury their dead, that sounds really compassionate, right? Well, that's not Jesus. That wouldn't be what Jesus would say. So what's going on here? Well, Jesus knows something here and he's not giving a global command to the church saying, okay, I don't want any of us to go to a non-believer's funeral. Even if it's a loved one, you can't go. Is that what Jesus told the church? No, that would be to misapply the Bible. He's answering this man because this man is gonna, we're gonna see, has a unique problem that Jesus puts his finger on. And to him, he gave these words. And we're gonna see what that is. So let's jump into the first man and see what the implications of following Jesus are. The first one's found in our first man in verse 57. I think this person we might call the uninformed or too eager to be a disciple person. He looks like he just jumped in and said, hey, following Jesus looks fun. He hadn't heard the story that Jesus is gonna die. He doesn't know that the person he's following is gonna suffer. He just thinks, man, this is a cool crowd. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And, you know, this man obviously was either caught up by the crowds, he was uh, maybe intrigued by the miracles of Jesus, maybe he was intrigued by just the person of Jesus, and he wanted to be close to the seat of power. It's not clear whether this man was there. But, he obviously didn't know the cost of following Jesus. So Jesus responds and says this, foxes have holes, Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Just like us, many in this room are probably here because they see the people come and go each Sunday. Or maybe because they saw the change of a friend and they were intrigued. So just like this disciple, they have come, but they don't really know what the real story of Jesus is. And Jesus tells them, I don't have any place to lay my head. Do you really want to follow me? I mean, it's interesting to me that the first message I see in this passage is Jesus is making sure everyone knows following him will cost you. He didn't rebuke the man for wanting to follow. He didn't say, You really don't want to follow. He just says, If you follow me, know one thing it will cost you. And in his example, it was a reliable, comfortable, maybe even a safe place to sleep. Do you still want to follow me? Would you follow him if you didn't have a reliable, comfortable, safe place to sleep? That's what he told this man. The second individual in verse 59 was a volunteer. I mean, if the first guy was a volunteer, the second guy was a conscripted man. Jesus invited him personally. You might think that everybody that Jesus invited personally came. It's not true. In fact, the rich young ruler in that same passage in Luke 18, Jesus said, follow me. But it said he went away sad and did not follow. Not everybody that hears the message of Jesus Christ will follow. But what's happening? He tells Jesus, after, "Here's the invitation from him, "Follow me." He said, "Well, I'd first like to go and bury my father." Now this may not be as simple as we think. Uh, his, some scholars believe that this man's father wasn't even dead. In fact, he was 45 years old and had 30 more years to live. So he was telling Jesus, Jesus, I really appreciate the invitation, uh, but there's going to be a slight delay, maybe two or three decades. (laughs) But I'll be right with you, as soon as that's over. Well, I think there's some people that are caught in that same thing that it's not convenient right now. I haven't said goodbye to everybody in my family through death. Uh, in fact, I might really disrupt my family if I came now. There's people today that say, well, you know, I'd love to follow you, Jesus, but my parents would go nuts. If I came home believing in Jesus, that would just not be a good thing. Or they might say, my, my wife or my husband might leave me if I accepted Jesus. We were party animals together. If I put faith in Jesus, that's going to destroy everything. I think there are people caught in that same thing that the scholars say could be happening here. That basically, they're saying, yeah, sounds good, Jesus, I want to do it, but let me make sure there's no other entanglements. Well, I think it's a little harsher than that, actually. Because actually, I kind of personally believe the man's father was dead. And Jesus was saying something pretty much very serious. He was saying this, um, the man had told him I want to bury my father and Jesus says let the dead bury the dead I think it catches us off guard it actually strikes us to the heart could Jesus really be this cold or does he have another point he has another point and that point is this and hear me well I think Jesus is telling this man even with something as personal as, as t- sensitive and, and emotional As a death in the family, he was making it absolutely clear that following him is such an important and urgent matter that even our most intimate, most tender family and relationship moments have to be put in second place when we hear his call. The question is this man says, Well, I'm not going to put it in. First place. I'm going to let my family be in first place. We see this in war, don't we? It's not cold. If there is a battle going on, sometimes soldiers have to leave even beloved fallen comrades unburied, untended, to press on with the mission to succeed. The battle will not be won if they spend time going back and have funeral services. That has to happen later. They're not considered cruel or mean, they're people with a mission. They want to succeed. That's what we should be. We're on a mission from heaven. And God's saying, and through Jesus and this word, you don't have time for any other entanglement. You don't have time to to get lost. I need to be first. You need to respond right away. And he did the same thing in his own family. I mean, you might say, how did he do that? Well, it says in Luke chapter 8, verse 20, he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. And he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. No, 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 Jesus. Your mom's outside. She wants to see you. I told you, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Pretty serious. Jesus says even family relationships have to take second place to the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's hard for us, isn't it? We don't want to sacrifice anything on this level and God's not saying to do it lightly. He's just saying do not put one of your fellow loved ones above him. What he said, if man does not hate his father, his mother, his sister, his brother, you're not fit for the kingdom of... He's not saying don't love them, don't take care of them. He's saying put me first. Well, I think what's happening here it's the third individual in verse 61. It says this, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. This man doesn't have anything going on that's as sensitive and tender as a funeral or the death of a father. He just says, I want to go home and say goodbye. Um, and Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, I know a lot of you probably haven't plowed Right? How many have a plow to field? That's what I thought. So this metaphor may go right over your head, but simply as this, no one can go straight forward looking over their back. And if you watched a farm, not many farm fields have rows that do this. It's hard to get the whole field to do the same thing at the same time. So they're straight. Do you drive your car looking over your shoulder? I hope not. Or maybe you drive by the rearview mirror by what things you just ran over. (laughs) Jesus is saying, look forward, press on, do never look back, do not look back, do not go back. What does it say? I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. That's what he's saying. He's saying, look, going back for any other reason is not appropriate when you have decided to follow him. We should never want to go back. I mean, in July of 1519, Hernan Cortes came to the New World with his army. When he landed, he burned 10 of his 11 ships and sunk them. He wanted to communicate to his soldiers, there is no going back. We either win this, or we die. He generated some resolve in those men. They wanted to win. They knew they couldn't go back. There was no mutiny possible. They couldn't go back. Jesus wants us to have the same dedication, the same focus, following him. Well, the third man he's telling, those who follow me do not look back. They don't want to go back. They are decided, they are determined, they are focused, and they're on a mission. See, Jesus keeps telling us, if you want to stand with me, if you really want to follow me, then you cannot, you must not, you dare not allow anything to get in the way of that commitment to me. That's what it means to follow. Genuine following, genuine Christian discipleship leaves zero room for excuses, for compromise, for half-hearted efforts, for delays. Do we like delays when our children don't obey us? Who likes that? When they say, hey, I'd really like you to do this task. No problem, as soon as I finish coloring this picture, as soon as I finish my video game, as soon as I get off the phone with my friend. But you're on your phone with your friend for two hours. I want this done. Nobody likes that. It's not following, it's not obeying. And Jesus is saying, when you follow me, there's no room for excuses, there's no room for compromises, there's no room for half-hearted efforts, and there's no room for delay. How you doing in following? In his book, Not a Fan, Kyle Eidelman challenges his readers to consider what kind of relationship they have with Jesus because the church has several types of relationships where people say they follow Jesus, have. He says this in his book. A Christian usually is either a fan of Jesus or a follower of Jesus. A fan is an enthusiastic admirer, whereas a follower is a completely committed pursuer. I mean, a fan, if you like a sports figure, you may know them well enough to to rattle off their records and stats and teams. Or if you're a church fan, you can recite Bible verses or theological truths. There's nothing wrong with having these facts known But that's not the type of knowledge that Jesus wants us to have. He wants us to have personal, intimate, relational knowledge of Him. He doesn't want us to know about Him. I mean, it's like you, if I asked you, can you tell me some things about Abraham Lincoln? Could you? How about a couple things? What what, what are a couple things about Abraham Lincoln that everybody knows? He was killed in office, he was a president. Uh, he was once a senator. What? We, we know facts about him. He had a beard. When I sh- If he's in heaven and we show up and we talk to him, does he know us? No. We know all about him. We can recite uh, you know, all the things about him from history. Doesn't mean we know him. Jesus is calling us to know him. To follow him is to know him. And it means here, if you have not been in the shoes of the person you're following, if you're not learning the craft of the person that you're following, that you're, you're a fan, you're not a disciple. You're not a follower. We need to be finding out what Jesus is really like. What is his craft? Are we learning his craft from him? And where does he teach us his craft? Right here. We have the word of God that teaches what Jesus was about. So I would ask us as we go through these marks of what a follower looks like, I would say, I think there are some here that go to church, you might even serve, you don't do the nasty nine, uh, but what are the biblical traits that you should have, that should mark every follower of Jesus Christ? Not just the elite. If you say you're a follower, you should have these things as part of your characteristics so the first one what is the first mark well it came from both Larry's passage last week and ours and it really is wholeheartedness being all in Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 4 verse 19 says this and he Jesus said to them the disciples follow me and I will make you fishers of men and immediately they left their nets and followed him In Matthew 4, Jesus called his disciples to follow him and they wholeheartedly did that. How do we know that? They left everything behind. They left family, relationships, jobs, careers. And they followed him and they started learning his craft. And what was his craft? Fishing for men. That's what their training was. They had a three-year course following the master in fishing for men. Well... So a wholehearted follower would have three characteristics that I'll name quickly. One, he has an undivided heart. Two, they follow without delay. And three, they take up Jesus' work. Jesus said this in Mark Mark chapter 12, quoting Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord with some of your heart, with some of your soul. Are you reading this? Are you going to correct me? You've got to correct me. Jesus said, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. I think some of us think that following is following with half our heart, part of our strength, a little bit of our mind. That's not following. That's not loving the Lord your God. So we need to be undivided in our focus, in our heart. Second, a true follower pursues without delay. The disciples immediately left their nets. They, do not let, they did not let family circumstances or the fact that my dad's in the other boat, that didn't slow them down. Luke chapter nine tells us that these guys had excuses based on family relationships. A true follower will not delay in following once he hears the call. They don't wait until circumstances are better. And third, the wholehearted follower is busy taking up Jesus' work. When Jesus was just 12, he said this to his parents when they had lost him for three days. And they said, did you not know that I must be about my father's work and my father's house? This is a 12-year-old on a mission. We could take some lessons. Well, and what does Jesus ask us to do? Well, Jesus not only asked us to make disciples of all nations, that's true, but he also asked us to love one another as I have loved you. Didn't he not? How are we doing on that? How about forgive one another as I have forgiven you? Of course, we know that God's forgiveness comes with a lot of caveats, so we can put caveats in our forgiveness too. Right? No. To forgive like God forgives is what, one of the things that Jesus has commanded us to do. So to follow him means that we do what he says. Well, how about the third mark of one who's following? It means, uh, or the second mark, excuse me. The second mark comes from several passages that describe what life's gonna be like for a follower. In Matthew 16, it says, Jesus told his disciples, If any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In John 15, verse 18, it says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Who wants to sign up for being hated? That's what signing up for following Jesus means. You're willing to be hated. How about a servant is not greater than his master? Since they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So the second mark of a follower is one who denies himself, takes up his cross, as is willing to suffer, be hated, and be persecuted. That doesn't sound very fun, does it? But denying ourselves what does that look like? Well, I think denying ourselves in this world is saying no to your own desires and yes to God's desires. We all have a plan for our own life. Have we ever run up by God and say, God, what do you want me to do? Because that's what I should be signing up for, not what I want to do. And a true follower who denies himself will also obey what the Lord commands. Otherwise, he's not Lord. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? He says, Those who love me will keep my commandments. So, when you're not keeping God's commandments, do you say, I'm not following? I'm not loving? I'm not keeping him as Lord? You should. That's what those actions mean. Well, what's the third thing that we have to do if we're denying ourselves? We're going to say no to sin and temptation, not just obey the commands but we gotta say no to temptation. You know, when when you have a temptation, at least I do, your flesh screams really loud. I want this. The question is, do you say no to that request because I love Jesus, I must do this? That's denying yourself. A person who stays in sin is not denying himself and is not a follower. I don't know how clear it can be. That's what it says. So I think the second mark of a true follower is simply this. It's the evidence of a changed life, not a perfect life, a changed life, obedient to God's word, by general rule, not by failure, by exception. They don't live in sin, exhibiting self-denial and a willingness to suffer. Third mark of one who's following Jesus, is serving God and his people. Jesus said in John 12, if anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. See, Jesus was telling us, if you're really gonna be like me, if you're really gonna follow me, learn my craft, I came not to be served, but to serve. So, if you're coming to church thinking everybody's gonna serve you, Instead of coming to church saying, I'm going to be like Jesus, I'm going to outserve everybody because I want to be like my Lord. That's how we can follow Jesus. And you know, serving Jesus is more than saying, I'm serving him in spirit, because we don't get to see Jesus and touch him right yet. But Jesus told, you, told us in Matthew 25, verse 40, truly I say to you, As much as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. He's telling you right now, the way you serve Jesus directly is serve one of these people in this room and the brothers and sisters in Christ across this globe. When you do that, Jesus counts it as personal service to him. That's what we're called to do. To be servants like our master. Well, fourth mark, I think, is one of the most telling marks. Are we becoming more and more like Jesus? See, again, perfection is not possible for humans. I know you think you might be, but it's not. I sure know I'm not. But I'm saved. And I'm trying to be more and more like Jesus every day. Now the question here, and Jesus said this, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, not a few, not most, not the elite, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. We give example of who we follow by how we are. When you walk in the room with your character that you have, your attitude that you have, your service that you have, your obedience that you have, it demonstrates whether you're following the teacher, Jesus, or you're following somebody else. Because everyone who follows Jesus, when he's fully trained, will be just like Jesus. We should have a room full of people that are just like Jesus. What a place that would be. I mean, we'd be trying to beat each other up to figure out who gets to serve. Well, no, we shouldn't beat each other up, but we'd be trying hard. Well, I think the goal is not to be smart like Jesus. Remember, he said, whoever is fully trained will be just as smart as his teacher." will know everything his teacher knows. will be able to correct others just like his teacher. Is that what these things say? No, he'll be like them. His character, his deeds will be just like Jesus's. And so what we have to say here is, what was Jesus like? Well, he was humble, meek, kind, compassionate. Of course, these all describe you. Um, you would come to church and we'd have a hard time getting you to stop serving. We would go to proclaim the gospel, to call people to repent and believe, just like Jesus did. A great verse, if you haven't seen it, you might read it, uh, Mark 1, 14 and 15. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the, gospel, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That should be what we're about. That's what Jesus was about. Repent and believe in the gospel. That should be our message and the message of the church throughout time. That's what Jesus' message is. So let me ask you this question. When you walk into a room, what happens to the temperature of the room when you walk in? Does it get really cold? Do people start puckering up, waiting for the blow? Mm? Who's here? Ooh, look who's here. Or do When you walk in, do they say that kindness comes in, joy comes in, compassion comes in, grace comes in, forgiveness comes in, service comes in, or does pride come in, conflict, bitterness, unforgiveness, arrogance? What walks in the room when you walk in? The world's evaluating what that looks like, and we're called to look like Jesus. Now you might think, your perfection that walks in the door. I would just ask you to maybe ask a few others. When I come into a room, what happens to the room? Does the room just shut up? Because we're not the best gauge of what happens in a room. I would ask others, I really would. Am I really exemplifying what Jesus looked like when I walk in? We're called to. But we need to understand two things too. None of these marks, none of these indications, none of these evidences that were following Jesus save. You are never going to be saved by doing those things. Salvation comes only by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We repent of our sin. We say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sin, and you rose from the dead to give me life eternal. That's what saves Doing all these deeds, having these marks, that does not save. A lot of people can pretend to be good churchgoers. That does not save. Faith in Jesus Christ alone saves. Alone. Well, another thing it should tell us is even if you're coming here today and you say, well, man, I'm not doing all of these. I'm I'm failing in a lot of these areas. That doesn't mean you're not saved. What it means is you have work to do you got work to do. Because these are like signposts. They don't save you, but they're supposed to be things that God can use when you are putting a light on a hill. This church should be a light on a hill that people can see and glorify God. The good works that are happening here. We want to exhibit Christ Jesus to our community. That's what these are. These are supposed to be like a lighthouse guiding others to Jesus. This is not... The salvation they get, we don't save. Our good works will not save us or them. Faith in Christ alone saves. That We're the lighthouse, the ship of faith in Christ saves. Well, let me just say this. In spite of uh, failures, we must remember that it's God's grace that will get us home, not our good works. If everybody in this room fails miserably today, God's grace can cover that. But he wants us not to stay there. He wants us to confess our sin, repent, let him cleanse us of our sin, move on and start following and looking more and more and more and more like Jesus. Well, we also must know that even though we're called to follow him, he doesn't abandon us and just stand in the distance and say, come on. He walks with us every step of the way every step of the way and when we fall he'll pick you up we also must know that even though he's given us good things to do he's the one that has promised to complete the work that he began in you see he's just given us the privilege of serving him that's not the way we get saved that's just the privilege but he has completed the work and has promised to complete the work in you and third even though we chose daily to follow him it's not our choice that saves us we must remember he chose you first God chose you first and he's called you to follow well as we all close here and follow the Lord Jesus Christ we know that he's called us to be a disciple, to make disciples. And he's given us these ways that we can test that that we're not just a faithful attender, but we're truly a follower. But I'm going to close with this uh, illustration that I, I heard from Alistair Begg, and I'm going to readapt it to our text today. Do you ever get a strong sense or desire to do something, that God wants you to do something, and you just don't do it? Like sending a thank you note, making a call, visiting someone, sharing the gospel, inviting someone over for a meal. You really thought that I gotta do that and you just don't do it. Well, research has shown that it's possible for us humans that are just having the thought about doing something allows us the benefit and the emotion in some weird psychological way to give us credit for having already done the deed. It's like doing the deed is 100%. Thinking about doing the deed is 95%. We, we get a passing grade just by thinking about it. The danger here is that many of us live in the euphoria of I want to. I should. I mean, just this past week, I had told my wife I wanted to contact a family. The wife had had surgery. I wanted to let them know I was thinking and praying about them. And I delayed. And I got a text from the husband saying, my wife's not doing very well. Could you pray for us? I was very upset with myself for delaying. God had told me what to do. I put it off. I gave myself credit for thinking about doing it. And God wants us not to get credit for just thinking about doing the right, but for doing the right. A lot of us in life live there. We have so many good intentions. And sometimes we comfort ourselves with those good intentions. And we think, oh, well, but I wanted to do it. That's what these people were going through that were following Jesus. Hey, I want to follow you. My heart's right. I'm with you all the way. Just not right now. Have we ever done that? Maybe somebody right here in this morning that needs to bow their knee to Jesus has known for a long, 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 long time that they've felt the need to do it. They've told themselves, yes, I must do it. I should do it. Just not right now. That is so dangerous. That is so dangerous. In fact, you could start feeling good about wanting to And never do the deed. Maybe that's the same way that you have been about baptism. You've known you should be baptized ever since the church taught on it a long time ago. And every time it comes up, you think, yes, yes, I really need to get baptized. Yep, 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 yeah, I want to do that. And so you give yourself credit for thinking about it. But you never do it. Or maybe you have sin in your life and you've told yourself over and over, I really need to get rid of this. I really need to stop this. Um, Yeah, Lord, I want to tell you right now, I want to get rid of it. So does that count? No. The good intentions are not what God honors. He honors obedience. I really intended to do right. You know, it's it's the thought, right? The thought that counts. I was thinking of you the whole time. Well, you expect them to have telepathy? I sense right now that Tim is thinking of me. Who does that? Nobody. We can't live that way. Maybe it's for service. You're saying, I, I, I wanna follow Jesus in service, but I'm, I'm gonna think about that because I really do wanna follow. Yeah, I do, I really do wanna follow. When, just not right now, but I, I feel good. I wanna follow do you follow? Do you serve? See, I think this is where we find ourselves in church many times today. We're stuck in this loop of good intentions. God wants us to get out of this loop. These three men in this story all had their good intentions. They all said, yes, Jesus, I'll follow you. But they had their reasons, their excuses, their delays, why now was not the good time? Jesus doesn't want us to have reasons, excuses, and delays why we're not getting rid of sin, not why we're not following and serving. I mean, I know a lot of Christians that are probably in this room that said, you know what? I really am not becoming more like Jesus every day, and I should. Act on that. Change. Ask God for his help. Read his word. Study his word. Be with his people. God will change you. It's his job to do that. Right? He who began the good work in you will complete it if you surrender, if you'll let him. I just want to say this morning if God's been talking to you and you're coming up with some excuses or delays and you're really giving yourself credit, you're 95% of the way there because you thought of it. Stop today. Today is the day to put behind you that delay. If you want to put faith in Christ, today is the day. You don't have tomorrow. You're not promised tomorrow. If today is the day you're going to put sin behind you, put it behind you. If today is the day that you're going to say, I'm not just going to claim Christ for my salvation. I am truly going to follow him. Then today is the day. If you're not serving I'm not going to give them one more excuse of why how much, how much more time I need and what my family relationship issues are. I'm going to figure out a way to serve. May we be rescued from our own just procrastination. Act on the promptings of God in your heart. Don't be like these three men in the story. Don't put something before Christ. Christ wants to be first, and Christ will bring you home when you put him first. I'm going to ask the men to come forward after this service, and if you have business to do with God this morning, if you want to say, yep, I'm not going to go home one more time and not put faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not going to go home one more time and not get rid of this sin. I'm not going to go home one more time and not agree to follow with everything, with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind and with all my strength. Would you change all of us including me this morning that I could do that myself? Because I have to say I struggle with the same things you do. Priorities. Procrastination. You think I don't got it? I have a master's degree in procrastination. But I want us to be changed today that God would use us to proclaim the gospel to a hurting world and that we would be the light on the hill that would be examples because we are looking more and more and more like Jesus I invite you after we, I pray to come forward Father Father we need your help we are selfish people by nature we are stubborn people by nature We're procrastinating people by nature. And we often have given ourselves a pass for thinking about doing something, but never doing it. So, Father, change us. Give us your conviction, like Jesus who set his face like stone to go to Jerusalem. Let us set our face to follow Jesus so that when we walk in the room, they can accuse us of hanging out with Jesus rather than hanging out with some other teacher. Father, would you allow each person who wants to make that change today and procrastinate no longer, give them the strength, give them the spirit, give them the power to come forward and say yes to you, I'll follow you, I will stop saying no right now. Would you do that for us and take us this week to be people who look like Jesus. In Jesus' precious name, amen.